We want to welcome in our center worshipers. I know we've got a number of college students over there today that are back at ETBU and Laterno. We're glad to have them. We're glad to have uh, all of our groups that are visiting with us today, either at the center or online digitally, and uh, coming in at a great opportunity and a great time for our church as we've just gotten started in a brand new series. We uh, are looking at big big days ahead, challenging days ahead in terms of transition and change. And so we're spending several weeks uh, going back and looking at different encounters where God has used his people in a very majestic way, in in a way many times that uh, altered their worship location, at times when they were to alter their worship venue, at times when he had them ready to accomplish something supernaturally, uh, even larger than they ever thought they could fulfill in their own skins and their own humanity, and how God related to his people during those key times and how the people responded is a fascinating study. And uh, so we're just taking a few weeks to go back and walk through those moments And today I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read a few verses there in just a moment. But as we do so, um, I want us just to begin today with a word of prayer and ask God's blessings as we take this second step together in what we can learn in this promising passage time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we have in your word. We pray that as we now... Take a deep breath. We focus in upon what you might have through your word to say to us. As we lay down side by side in parallel fashion experiences that happened thousands of years ago and where this body at Oakland Heights Baptist Church is walking and for any believer that's a part of an experience with a larger group of people that God is calling them to a specific task or mission That, Father, we can lay those down side by side and we can extract certain principles that might also guide us in these really pivotal and important days. Father, as we do look at your word, would you just take the text, take the surroundings of the historical moment that these people were in and use that through the power of your word, elevated by the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts. And, Father, that is our prayer today. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles open, let's read together in Exodus chapter 14. I don't know if you have subheadings in your Bible. I know today, no doubt, we've probably brought a lot of different translations to this place. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. But many of your Bibles have subheadings. And if you look just uh, in the subheadings, for instance, or in a a subheading that begins chapter 13, as you see chapter 13 and 14 in the book of Exodus, Exodus tells us something significant, just the name of the book. There's a group of people that are going to be exiting. Uh, Almost two million of them, we're told historically, out of bondage, over 400 years of slavery. They're going to be making this exit. Maybe you have this little description somewhere in chapter 13, maybe in the middle or at the top part portion of that. The Red Sea, uh, uh, crossing the Red Sea, or Red Sea experience. We know that uh, God's children were released, they left. 
We know Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he began in pursuit of God's children. We know, talking last week at the chapter 14, uh, that how important it was that God strategically put his people in a place, in a very precarious place, so they would trust him. So they would be relying upon him. They were in between a body of water and a mobilized army that was heading toward them. God delivered them by parting that sea. They crossed over. But in doing so, some important elements began to come out of that moment. I want us to read today in chapter 14, beginning in verse 19 and 20. If you'll look in your Bible to chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, and I'll begin reading in verse 19. And the angel of of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. What an incredible statement. What an incredible passage. Those two verses that just resonate, or they should. You know, I, you know, one of the things that I like to do is just ask questions from time to time. And in reading those verses over the last several months, I began asking myself the question, who is this angel of the Lord? Look at it there in your passage. The, 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 the Bible says, then the angel of God, the angel of the Lord. Who is that person? Who is that entity? Who is that deity, if you will, that went on and we have such an accurate descriptor? Well, if you go back to chapter 13 and just take a glance with me at verse 21, the Bible says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them. Go back and look in chapter 13, verse 21. Do you you see that statement? A little bit of the clue to answer that question for us. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so they could they could travel by day or night over in Isaiah a little later in our Old Testament in chapter 63 and verse 9 Isaiah kind of reaffirms the answer of who that angel was what being that was if you will Isaiah says in Isaiah 63 9 He's kind of recounting all the deliverance moments that God has taken his children through, especially this big exodus. And some from a historical view, Isaiah says this, looking back in Isaiah 63, 9, in all their distresses, he too was distressed. The angel of his presence saved them. Wow. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. You see, it becomes apparent to us as readers, as followers of Christ, who that was. It's what we call a Christophany. In other words, we know that our God is one God. John 1.18 tells us that he is manifested in three ways. We call that the Trinity in terms of evangelical doctrine, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says something interesting in John 1.18. It says, even though no one's seen God, Jesus himself, his son, 
we would say in the Trinity part two, if you will, that we know that the Lord Jesus so often, what, carries out, what, different responsibilities of the Godhead. And so it was a Christophany, it was God himself. You go back to Exodus 14 and look in that passage that we just read in verse 19. The Lord himself ushered the Israelites across the Red Sea and across that desert. Isn't that something if you just stop and think about it for a moment? God, the Lord, gives light to those that love him and trust him. In other words, he gives them comfort. But for those that reject him, they sit in total darkness he so often confounds them. One side was light where the children of Israel could see. The Israelite, I mean, the, the Egyptian side was totally dark and they were confounded. Isn't it wonderful to know today that we have a God who guards and guides us? Isn't it wonderful to know that we have one that precedes us and protects us? We have a God, this very... God that we worship today is our shepherd, he's our shield, he's our first and our last, he's our guiding in the future, and he's also the very one behind, even in those moments when we have failures, he gathers up behind us debris and failures and different setbacks. Man, we have a great, great God, don't we? I'm just asking, is it possible? Is it a call of God for a group of worshipers that are on such an important mission. Is it important for us to be able to understand the fullness of God's presence? When you look back historically at how God has used his people during these times, people in the experience of whatever they're called to do seem to be able to embrace the presence of God, to experience his presence as these people did as they've never been able to do so previously. I mean really to embrace that God is with us. And so today I want to talk to you about something in our next step together that's extremely important. We're just going to call it for simplicity's sake today. And remember, we're going to hang on to these sets of notes over the next 18 to 24 months. We're going to need them. And today, we're only going to have time to look at one very important principle that I want us to gather around that's going to be important and very important for this passage. And that is, simply stated, presence awareness. We as the body of Christ have got to be able to come into a center point of presence awareness. We've got to know that God is with us. We have to know that. You know, there's been different people at different points in my ministry that have had great impact on my life. One of those was a special lady in one of our former ministries. Her name was Ruth and she lived just uh, on the Rio Grande River to be exact, had a farm there and one time had horses. And when I came to be her pastor, I was just so impressed by her heart of service. She at that time was about 80, in the mid 80s, 84, 85 years of age. She was just an amazing lady. And as I got to know her, a number of people in the church said, you know, Ruth, although she's been a member of our church many years, pastor, 
We wish you could have seen her right after her husband of uh, 51 years died and how her life, being out there on that farm and out there on that river all alone, she just really struggled with loneliness in a desolate place. I mean, for, for several months, she struggled. We did everything we could, but to no avail. She just was in a tailspin and kind of lost her direction. But now you see, Pastor, where God has brought her. I sat down and talked to her. Uh, after I'd been there a few years, I got to know her extremely well and just listened to her testimony about that period of time in her life. And she said, you, you know, I was just so disillusioned after my husband had been taken from me. It was a heartbreak for me. She said, now I've got this big place with all these acres to take care of. And she said, there was just, my, my heart was lonely and my heart was hurting. But she said, you know, Pastor, gradually, I began to learn important lessons about God being with me. She said, God began to show me and nurture me certain things about, hey, you know, there's some advantages in to, 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 to singleness and singleness again. And she said, I began to learn important lessons. She said, the most important lesson is that every single morning, I knew when I got up that the Lord, I was not alone, the Lord was with me. And she said, all day long, I know she said there'd be times people from the church would come by and they'd come up in the driveway and they'd see me talking and they'd say, oh, Miss Ruth, you got some company here. She said, no, I'm just talking to the Lord. And she said, Pastor, I learned that every night when I went to bed, other than my little puppy and myself, I knew there was someone else there. The Lord was with me. And she said, even as I slept, I knew that my Lord stood guard over me. And you know, as I sat on that day and listened to her impacting testimony, it really gave me a whole new frame of reference. So today, I want to share with you four very just pointed things four principles that you and I might be able to embrace together about how we can get there. I would be willing to wager if Baptist ministers could bet and wager that very few of you in here, everyone's ever stopped and taught about this presence awareness. So very important. Four things that I want to just you to jot down with me today that are important if we as a congregation are going to be able to know that the Lord is with us. Now, are we on the same page today? I'm not talking about this flippant Sunday morning discussion from time to time that goes like this. Will the Lord be with us? Well, yes, the Lord be with us. I'm talking about individuals in the body of Christ that know, that walk with the Lord and know that he's there in their life. I'm talking about a New Testament body that is completely aware that God is with them. How do you get there? How do you experience that in the fullness? Let's jot down the first one. You've got to be able to affirm, first of all, God's nearness to your heart. Individually, this starts out with individual after individual affirming God's nearness to your heart. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, verses 5 and 6. Listen to these powerful words. The psalmist wrote, you hem me in. Now, did you hear that? The NIV translates it that way. You hem me in behind and before. 
and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Listen to how the King James describes it. Listen to how the verb usage is used here in King James. Thou hast beset me behind and before. You see, you and I have got to understand that this presence, the awareness of God's presence in our life, we need to be a little more educated that the Lord kind of puts us in a cocoon, if you will. He's in front of us, he's behind us, and he is with us. It's almost a sense of his protective nature around his people and his purpose. I wrote down, because throughout the Bible, there are just so many living, vibrant examples of this. You take what Paul shared in Philippians 4, 5, and 6. Paul said, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The Lord is near. He's before us and he's after us. Listen to how Isaiah described this concept of God's surrounding presence. Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Isaiah said, do not fear, for I'm with you. You, uh, Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I'll help you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I was thinking about this incredible presence, awareness, I thought about Jacob. Over there, what was it, Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has that incredible ladder dream. He's dreaming and there's this stair-step progression in his dream. And out of that, the Lord spoke to him out of that dream and he said this in Genesis 28, 15. To Jacob, God says, I am with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go. I love that moment in our New Testament in the book of Acts Paul was just starting to get into the challenge of sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. He was having all kinds of trouble with Roman authorities. And out of that experience, God spoke these words to him. Listen to Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one's going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. I love what the writer of Hebrews said. We could go on and on. Hebrews 13 verse 5. The writer of Hebrews said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Can I just suggest for us to have presence awareness. We have got to be willing individually over and over and over again to affirm that our God is what? He's near to us, he's in our heart, and he surrounds us. Let's jot this down as an important principle. The practice of frequently reminding ourselves of the Lord's abiding presence will begin to take root as a habit. We know that, don't we? If we do it over and over again, it will eventually start what? To take root to be a habit, and eventually it will become natural to us. So we start with this affirming. Now, I'm really concerned. I'm just being transparent with you. I'm concerned about sharing with you this second part of how you and I can reach this practice of spiritual presence because some of you are going to look at me and you're going to think I'm crazy. Well, some of you are already there, aren't you? 
but let's jot it down. I'm going to take the risk of sharing something very private with you, okay? Second thing, very important, we've got to visualize. We've got to visualize God's presence in our minds. Visualize each one of us in your mind of God's presence with us. In my little study at home, I have two chairs. Well, I have three chairs in that, in that room, but two of the chairs are on one side of the desk. This is risky. But I want you to know in the mornings when I pray, I have a list because I, I'll forget. I have a list and I begin to pray. And I just talk to God. I look at one chair and I visualize that God is in that chair. I don't use any kind of fancy church language. I just kind of look at that chair from time to time and I just talk to God because I know that he's there with me. Now I know, I, I can see how you're looking. You think I'm crazy. But can I just suggest to you that so often when we, man, I want to be extremely cautious here, but so often when we pray, we um, begin to try to come up with some kind of imaginary picture of how God looks as if we're talking to him. Maybe we think about a George Burns, white cloud kind of figure. I, I believe that the Lord Jesus, that God himself is with me. And so when I look at my chair in my study, it's extremely important for me, not that I pray to the chair, but I pray to the God that I believe that is there with me. Do you understand the concept? We shouldn't be projecting imaginary imagery of God, but we should, it's really more of a, a matter of recognizing the presence of God who is really there. And can I just tell you, I know that's going to be a real stretch to take certain people to. Uh, that's maybe a bridge too far. But that's how you start to allow the presence of God to be a reality in your life. So very important. Now, when we are able to visualize God's presence, two very important things happen. Let's just shot them down. One of the important things is, obviously, it's a given. When you know or you sense that God's with you, wherever it may be, I think you would agree that bestows great comfort, doesn't it? Number one, it bestows comfort on us. Uh, the other day I was at the hospital. Sometimes I can get into the hospital, sometimes I can't. And that's based on a number of things. Usually who's working a particular area of the hospital. Uh, it seems like who can get in and who can't is a revolving standard. Clergy badges work, clergy badges don't work. One person in the room works, five people in another room. But anyway, uh, there's all kinds of moving standards where we can see. But I was having a wonderful visit, had my mask on, being careful with one of the ladies in, in, in our church. And she, she just said, Pastor, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but she said, I just want you to know that each night, she said, this will be my third night in the hospital, and she said, each night before I go to sleep, she said, I just visualize the Lord holding me in his arms. 
And I thought that was an incredible statement that she, she made about, she said, I, as I go to sleep each night, she said, you know it's hard to sleep, but she said, in a hospital, but she said, you know, I just feel, I just feel like, what would it feel like if I just fell asleep in the Lord's arms and he was holding me? What an incredible thought. You know, when we understand that God's with us, it brings immense comfort, immense comfort. In fact, our Bible speaks of that often, doesn't it? In fact, I wrote down Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. You remember how the, the psalmist described this in the passage that's so familiar to us? The Lord is my what? He's my shepherd. Isaiah talked about this imagery. He says, it's like the Lord, I'm being carried away on, on, on the wings of eagles. That's how Isaiah described it. Paul, facing a Roman tribunal, said in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, he said, at my first offense, no one came to my support. Paul was just letting people know. Everybody kind of abandoned me. There wasn't any physical touch there for me. I was all by myself. But he said, everyone had deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Wow. Bestowing comfort. But write this down. When we visualize God's presence with us, it also restrains sinful tendencies. It restrains sinful tendencies. I mean, the whole concept of being in God's presence should heighten our awareness of our choices and our behaviors. In my very first pastoral ministry, we had a guy that had, had come to know Christ that grew up in an unchurch, I mean, a totally unchurched background. And of course, we were interested in discipling him and growing him because it was just like a fertile field once he came to know Christ. He knew nothing. I mean, I mean, it was just charting a whole new course. This is a Bible. This is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. And so we began to pour into his life. After about a year and a half or two years, it seemed like in one of our small groups, I kind of started to sense his heart was sagging a little bit. Maybe he had plateaued in his spiritual growth at that point. So I, I went and called up with him a couple of weeks after I kind of detected that and spent some time with him. And he was very transparent. He said, man, pastor, I'm doing great on my Bible reading, my Bible study. He said, I'm praying. I'm learning better how to pray. He said, I've, I've even shared my faith a few times but he says man there is just one big problem from time to time and here's the word that he used a noxious word will come out of my mouth I said a noxious word and Mike said yeah like a curse word a bad word a filthy word and he says, I just can't, Pastor, seem to get over that hurdle. And so something just kind of came over me. You know those are dangerous moments. And I said, well, Mike, can you give me an example? And I'm telling you, he got completely white. I mean, it was like he was in shock. And I said, go ahead. Share with me an example of some of these noxious 
words that you say come out of your mouth. Let her fly. And he kind of shook his head. And I said, don't worry about it. I grew up in an athletic background. I've heard just about every word. And he said, no, I can't do that. And I said, no, really? I, I'd just like to kind of have a sense of an example of what you're battling against. And I said, well, why won't you share that with me? He said, because you're my pastor. And I said, Mike, how much more if you are intimidated about one of these words slipping out in front of your pastor, how much more to know that the presence of the living God is with you always? How much more for you to consider every word that you share in the presence of the Lord? You see, when we visualize two things are inevitably going to happen, it is going to bring comfort, and it will restrain some sinful, sinful tendencies. Well, to affirm God's nearness and to visualize God's presence, shot this third thing down, we've got to hurry. We've got to be able to access God's nearness through prayer. For to really have this, what I'm hoping our church can, can sense in terms of God's real presence with us, we've got to be able to access God's nearness through prayer. Over in James chapter 4, many of you know this verse so well, verse 8. Um, many of you, again, have it on your radar. It's, it's an interesting verse. It has two little parts to it in the first part of that verse. It just says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Do you remember that verse? Come near to God and he will come near to you. Have you ever stopped and done any research behind this statement that Paul made uh, or James made, come near to God. You know, if, if you ever spend some time cross-referencing nearness to God or coming near to God and begin to just let it trail off into all the different places in the Bible, it's quite fascinating. I ask myself the question a number of times, how do you really come near to God? And you know, I think I came as close in cross-referencing that question in the Bible, I think I came as close scripturally as I could find in anywhere else in the Bible in, in, in one single verse. It's Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 7. How do you come near to God? And here's what Deuteronomy 4, 7 says. It's amazing. What other nation is so great to have their gods, little g, plural? We know there's only one God. But their gods, little g, near them the way the Lord, our God, is near us. Listen to this statement. Whenever we pray to him. I'm anxious to hear today how many of our small groups, as we ask them, spent very intentional, intense time in prayer over our church conference next week. I'm anxious to hear from each group. How'd your prayer time go? Did y'all go around and individually pray? Did one person voice? Did y'all have silent prayer? How, how in each one of these small groups, how, what were the dynamics as the Holy Spirit led your facilitator, your teacher, and your group? How did that prayer interaction go? I'm excited to hear about that. 
I just wonder how much time we're really spending in prayer. You see, if we want access to be near to God, the Bible's quite clear. That is the very platform. That is, prayer is the environment that can most solidly connect us to God, listen to me, on an intimate basis. Prayer. Talking to him. I I, I wonder if God is mused at times as we pray. Do we speak to him and communicate to him as he's right there with us? Or do we speak to him in some kind of an imaginary, conceptual way? But it's out of that prayer connection that the Bible says intimacy begins to grow. You see, we may not always listen to me. We may not always feel his presence in the emotional sense. You may not want to admit it, but there's a lot of times you and I don't feel like praying. Amen? Yeah, do you you hear that? No one. Crickets. But you know heart to heart, that's true. We can't always guarantee that emotionally, emotionally we're going to sense and feel his presence. But by faith, When we enter into his presence in prayer, we know that we are able always to enter into this vital, spiritual sense of connection with our Lord and Savior. Aren't you thankful that when you call on him, he's there? Amen. When you call on him, he's there. Pastor, we see your pathos. We hear your passion. Pastor, this is quite a chore, affirming this nearness of God and this visualization and even this accessing through our prayer life, God, and knowing that he's there. But I want to give you one other thing, and that is I want to just call and challenge you to be reflective, to reflect about God's presence in your demeanor, in your demeanor. Have you ever wondered why someone would stop during a welcome and say, hey, 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 I want us to work on our energy a little bit. Have you ever thought about what a congregation, we've got to get this camera up here, hide it some way. I'd love to show you some footage of you. You're always telling me about what I say and what I do. You give me that feedback every week. Well, you you did this, you did that, you're watching. But you know, no one watches you except me. And then, I mean, I could get John Easterling and our, our tech team to kind of say, hey, get me four or five sleepers today. I want you to really zoom in on them so I can get that on video and show that. You know, I, the person is clipping their nails, zoom in on those moments. Because I don't, point those things out I just I just look over here on this side or whatever it may be I just look somewhere else demeanor see knowing as a result that you're in the presence of God changes and brings about a sense of confidence can I just share this worship is an inward attitude of our heart, isn't it? It's not supposed to feel functional, but it's intimate. It's 
recognizing who God is and who he's created us to be. You see, part of this demeanor is the external thing. The external element that comes out of this internal, eternal, internal relationship with our Lord and Savior. And when that happens, our countenance and our demeanor change. The way you carry yourself, your enthusiasm and the attitude that we talked about so often is essential. And when you've been in the Lord's presence, it shows. And when we haven't, it shows. Don't you love Josh Thomas? You love this guy. Isn't he amazing? I, I wish I could... I wish I could tell you how many people have bragged on his haircut the last week or so. And of course, I love anybody that has hair, period. I mean, I'm impressed with anybody that can grow a head of hair. But you know, Josh and I have had this conversation all, man, I don't know about you, but I can't wait till we get our choir back up here, amen? I'm just ready to get our choir back and get people back and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's interesting. I, a couple of weeks ago when Josh was doing the little Wednesday thing where people spread out, we were trying to get some of the choir back and I slipped in one day and sat with my wife, not six feet apart, right next to her. And uh, I was just kind of watching choir. You know, it's interesting. Josh does a great job. He's always encouraging our choir to smile. Have energy. And you know, week after week, looking at not just our choir, but any choir. I don't know who you focus on, but boy, there's two or three live wires in our choir. They're excited about being here. They're excited about praising the Lord. You know what I'm saying? They smile. They got exuberance. They got enthusiasm. And some of you are looking at me and say, well, that's not my personality. Well, I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about countenance. I'm talking about demeanor. When you and I come into the Lord's presence, that changes. But you know, not only is there an interior, internal kind of thing that's going on, but the external that we're talking about in terms of sharing. There's choices to make. You and I got to choose, are we going to surround ourselves with takers or givers? I've shared with you often, often, in any church body, there are people that come to you and you can hear the suction as they come. If you put enough of those people in your life and spend all your time with them, they will suck all of the energy out of your life. And there are other people that when I see them coming, it's like, man, whoo, can't wait to talk to him. Can't wait to talk to her. Those people are going to put back into your life. I just wonder about Moses, Exodus 14. And this cloud of presence. I wonder how far, I wonder how far old Moses would have gotten if his father-in-law Jethro hadn't showed up. He said, Moses, I'm worried about you. Moses, this is going to kill you. Trying to take these two million people that are grumbling and mad and upset about something all the time. It's going to kill you, Moses. You better get you a group of encouraging, life builders, and you better surround yourself with some of those kind of men and women to help you and to put life back into your life. 
people that are enthusiastic and encouraging, that lift up. Today, I just want to encourage you. I think old Moses would have been in trouble if he hadn't had that group of people around him. You and I choose every day, and it has such an impact on our demeanor, our reflective demeanor in terms of God's presence in our lives, how our countenance and how we transmit our body language to others every single day. You can imagine the struggle it would be if you surround your, yourself with the critic, with the cynic, with the person that it's all, the glass is always half empty. We've got to be able to make good choices and surround ourselves with people that are people that are going to build us up, that are going to build the work of the kingdom of the Lord up and be encouraging. Quickly, extra bonus, jot it down, not much time. One, three things that have changed my whole outlook in terms of demeanor and how I put people. Confidence. There's the word, confidence. Three things that help us take action. Be an action taker. Please don't get to the end of your life and have these regrets. How many people have we heard say this? Boy, I wish years ago I would have, and you can fill in the blank. I remember early in my ministry going to a pastor's conference one time. Some of the great men of faith that I'd always revered and idolized and watched and loved from a distance were leading this pastor's conference. And they had these breakout sessions where pastors could go in and ask them questions and so on. And I went into a room and I was so discouraged because there had to be 200 pastors that went to this little breakout session. I had so many questions that I wanted to ask. But you know what? I looked around that room. I looked at that man that was standing up there and something inside of me said, said, hey, they're going to think that's a stupid question. Stupid question. And so I walked out of that pastor's conference, my very first year of pastoring, with a very important lesson in my life. I didn't ask that, and I left, and I wish I always would have, because my self-confidence was so low, and because I felt like people would think I was crazy in that room by asking that question. And I made a commitment to myself. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never, ever going to get back into the situation where I cheat myself of the opportunity to ask questions no matter what anyone thinks. Take action. Number two, share with others and help them. Share with others and help them. You want to have a better demeanor and a better confidence in your own life? Invest in others, share with others, and help them. Great confidence booster when you make yourself invaluable to others because you're always adding value to them. You know, we've got those kind of people in our church. Man, they just keep investing, keep investing, always mentoring somebody, always meeting with somebody, always pouring their life in somebody, always investing, investing, investing. And when you do that, your whole demeanor, your whole confidence level and who you are in Christ, remember the relationship of worship? It's intimate. It's all about knowing who he is and who he has created you to be. Number three, not just take action, and invest and share with others, but spend time with confident people. Spend time with confident people. People around you that are builders, that are investors. Did you get those four? Affirm God's nearness, visualize God's presence, access God's nearness, and reflect on God's presence in your demeanor. 
Well, I'd share this and we close. After a period of time, that pillar of fire, that, that cloud disappeared. God's children moved into the promised land and that segment of history was over. Never have seen exactly that working exactly in that way ever again. Could God use the exactness of that again? Sure he could. But at least in the canon of the scripture, from the time of the book of Revelation that it closed, we're never given another example that that exact pilgrimage took place ever again. But did that stop the presence of God and his manifestation of his presence with the people? Absolutely not. You go throughout the history of the Bible and the text and you see the same kind of concept over Solomon's temple. That, those incredible clouds of glory. Or you think about that upper room, that burst of flame at Pentecost. We're reminded over and over and over again of how important it is that God's people, when they're called to accomplish something supernaturally, that they're able to embrace what it is to have the presence of God with them. Man, I yearn for that. I yearn that our church family will come to that place and know God is with us. These people strode failures and baggage all over a desert, grave after grave, death after death, tragedy after tragedy, broken fellowship after broken fellowship, discouragement after discouragement. But yet, God was still with them. You know what that should say to Oakland Heights Baptist Church today? Simply one thing and one thing only. God's presence with us means everything. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for these few moments that we've had in your word. Man, we appreciate your presence here. Father, there's so much work that you have to do in all of our individual lives. You're growing us. You're stretching us. And boy, right now, Lord, we feel tested to the max. Individually, corporately as a body of Christ, nationally, from a national to our nation, Father, we know that you are with us. And so I just pray today that our prayer lives might be strengthened. That there might be the Holy Spirit do a work in each one of us that he might be so diligent as to just drive us to our knees drive us to a special sacred time each day that we protect, that we can just spend these intimate moments with you. As your word tells us, to be near to you is to pray with you and to you. Father, I pray that we might exhibit outwardly the evidence of what it has meant throughout a week to worship, the sincerity of our hearts 
as we are yoked, yoked and pulled together each week, that it would become more this time of a celebration of what you've done throughout the week in our lives, an overflow. And Father, we're asking today that you might allow us as we continue to move forward in this passage, in this journey, to know the true presence, your presence is with us. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.